Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's Contours podcast, a production of the New Lines Institute for Strategy and Policy. My name is Nick Harris, and I am the Senior Analyst and Head of the State Resilience and Fragility Program here at the New Lines Institute. I will be the host for today's discussion on the Tishreen, or October, revolution movement in Iraq and the impact that it is having or could have on Iraq's politics, society, and security. The Tishreen Revolution, which first grabbed global headlines throughout the fall and early winter in 2019, is the latest and arguably the most widespread protest movement that has developed in Iraq since the creation of the current Iraqi socio-political system and security apparatus since 2003. Tens of thousands of Iraqis from all social strata showed they were no longer willing to silently accept worsening existential conditions, rampant state corruption, and a political culture of impunity for Iraq's well-connected politicians and its numerous militias. Most interesting for Iraq's future in the geopolitics of the region, most of the Tishreen revolution movement came from predominantly Shia areas of central and southern Iraq, from Baghdad, from Basra, and including the major cities of the so-called deep south of Iraq, such as Nasiriya. Although the initial Tishrin revolution movement led to the resignation of then Prime Minister Abdel Abdel Mehdi and the appointment of a reformist Prime Minister in Mustafa Kadimi, most all the goals of the movement have been unrealized. And tens of members of the Tishrin revolution movement have been assassinated and many more intimidated into silence or forced to flee their home areas in Iraq because of threats from militias and other armed groups that are linked to the state and especially to Iran. I'm joined for this important discussion today by three insightful experts on Iraq. First, my New Lines Institute colleague, Rasha Al-Akhidi. Rasha is the senior analyst and program head for non-state actors here at the New Lines Institute. A native of Mosul, she's also a highly respected commentator on Iraqi politics, its security dynamics, and its society, and her work on Iraq has a global following. Next, Jane Araf. Jane is the Baghdad Bureau Chief for the New York Times and one of the preeminent journalists covering Iraq, which she has been doing for several decades. She is also an award-winning reporter who was formerly a senior correspondent covering the entire length and breadth of the Middle East and North Africa for National Public Radio, CNN, Al Jazeera, and the Christian Science Monitor. And last, but certainly not least, and is a veteran Iraqi social and political activist and freelancer. He's one of the leading envoys of the Tishreen Revolution Movement to both his fellow Iraqis and to the international community. This will also be his first public on-the-record briefing for an American audience. Thank you for joining us today. I want to start off with a question for Jane and then Asma and Rasha to provide their perspectives too. Jane, it has been almost two years since the Tishreen Revolution Movement started. What is the greatest impact that the movement is having on decision makers in Baghdad? Thanks, Nick. I think, you know, we have to remember that the greatest impact has really been it's changed some of the decision makers because this was a movement that actually toppled a government. It, it achieved one of the main things it wanted to. Now we can can and will talk about how it's probably been downhill from there, but there's a prime minister who came to power 
simply because protesters demanded the toppling of the previous prime minister and Shia religious figures concurred. They said they had lost trust in him. So that's the main part of it. Having said that, I, I think in general, what it's meant is that their demands can't be ignored in the way that they were in the past. That doesn't mean that their demands are being met. It doesn't mean they're not being oppressed and killed. But it does mean that it's now part of the conversation and certainly part of the awareness of Western allies that there is a huge fundamental problem here that just can't be ignored anymore. What would you say has been the impact that the Tishreen revolution movement has had on decision makers in Baghdad? What's important impact that Tishreen do with October? There's a reality that we discovered after maybe 16 years that the people, the ordinary people can do. We do more than we thought even. We don't go to October with the our own our thinking to change the prime minister, but we can do that. The most important is not only to change the prime minister, it's to give the power again to the people who can act and do. Yes, it's very expensive what we paid for it. 800 killed uh, protesters, maybe 25,000 injured. We found the, the militia and the security forces working together to make Tishreen October as example how they will treat any protest in the future. But what we think we made it, that's our strong point that we always use it, we can go to the political lives and change even with all the power, the, the power of militia and the parties who is making this government. There is a people, especially young people, angry young people, can say no to the kill, to the corruption, to the political participation. So we are now in, with a new era of political act social, political act from the people. And I don't want to say it as a, a sect movement, but the majority who is, uh, is Shia, the, the most powerful protest, it was in the middle and the south of Iraq, whereas the demographic power of these parties is there. The, so the majority is say no to this regime. I will just add a little bit, which is probably the most important impact that this movement has had regarding policymaking. It's that the post-2003 order can no longer operate on sectarian lines. For those of us who have been observant of the Iraqi context and follow its politics up close, we remember most of the analysis that has been prominent since 2003 most likely after 2005 when violence picked up and had a sectarian nature, that often the discontent was among sectarian lines. And that was the dominant narrative in, in the analyses and in the policy making in general regarding U.S. policy towards Iraq. It was within those lines. But we see today that has changed. The government, not just the government, the current government, the entire system can no longer ignore that the power and the discontent is in the South. It's in the deep South. It's among the constituents of these parties. It's affected the militias that are state-sponsored and they have doubled down 
on their violence. And it makes us take a step back and go, let's go back to 2010, 2011, when there was discontent and consistent complaints about the security forces attitude in the Western and Northern provinces where the Sunni population are mostly concentrated. Those were interpreted as a different kind of discontent. It makes us realize that the problems in Iraq, sectarianism perhaps is there, but they definitely they take a seat back towards the discontent that is a lack of order, the lack of a national identity, the lack of services, unemployment. These have always been the core issues and problems at the heart of the Iraq complexity. Our system can no longer hide behind that. And it is also something, it's a new context for policymakers in the United States to consider. Whatever was established in 2003, this idea, that has all changed. And it's coming from Baghdad and coming from the Deep South. Thank you, all of you. That's very insightful responses. One of the interesting dynamics with the Tishrin revolution is that it occurred at a period in 2019 when it seemed as if there had been this building up of existential challenges to Iraq related to water issues, unemployment, the society in a lot of ways being unfairly imbalanced away from the people and to the elites. Why did the Tishrin revolution really burst onto the scene in 2019 and not before? Actually, the question is, why didn't Tishrin not occur before? It's a very important question to us. Since 2011, that's the first huge protest I uh, involved in, we have been continuous protesting in 2013 against the parliament uh, salaries, in 2014 against uncontrolled weapons and the weakness of the army and security forces in the face of uh, ISIS, uh, and 2015 against uh, the political participation or quota. Finally, in October uh, 2019, this movement found itself in this protest because if we back in 2015, we try to make something like Tishreen and we make our sit-in and start to, uh, to work together with the social movement. But in, in a moment, uh, there is a dialogue happened uh, behind the scene between some parties and uh, Muqtada Sadr and destroy what all what we're working for. So I think what happened in Tishreen, it's come after all these years. All the reasons for Tishreen is an every time there. But how it's happened, that's the question is a very big question. Because when I was there in 1st of October to monitoring what's happened for the United Nations and some association in Iraq, Human Rights Association, it's what it's start as a regular protest. But the violence and of the security forces and respect to the people and the economic situation is worse than than before three or four years or uh, losing jobs uh, health care it is all this is demanding but what we find there is a, a political awareness between the young people who make the shrine they uh, on these years especially after uh, 2015 
there is a movement between the students, the young people, and uh, uh, another activities. It's work together to make Tishreen. It's the longest protest and it's uh, the most uh, violent from uh, the, the government, uh, of course. That will make it uh, take a, a longer time. So what we think, all these conditions is work together and after, uh, you know, ISIS is defeated and economic crisis in Iraq, loss uh, for jobs for uh, millions maybe in Iraq because the economy crisis. All that work together, but what's most important, what Tishreen give is a political awareness that make not only for the public services or for the jobs. No, we're talking now about, in our slogans, we want a homeland. I came to take my rights. So it's the end of what we think of the political appearance for our activists. It's, it's in Tishreen. So why uh, Tishreen not happened before? No, it's happened before, but it was shorter, less violence, and less conscious. Now we have in Tishreen, we found ourselves with a huge awareness from especially the students and the young people, even the parties who try to take a part of Tishreen, they found their cell must say the same slogans we are doing. So I think it happened gradually. So Tishreen is kind of uh, the final uh, issue for this protest from 2011 until Tishreen. That's a very interesting journey that you've taken us through in terms of the development of how the Tishreen movement came about, its origins. Jane, I'd like to ask you, as someone who is there reporting on the movement on the ground and someone who has a long experience uh, with Iraq, what feels different about the Tishreen movement? And related to that, do you see any signs that the Tishreen movement is starting to learn how to play the political game in Baghdad? So the previous protest movements that I've covered, 2011, for instance, were crushed pretty quickly and pretty brutally. And they had a sectarian element to them, particularly in the way that Prime Minister Maliki crushed them. To see this rise up and to see the inclusivity of it and the the kind of common denominator, I think, of the protesters was actually quite breathtaking. I mean, for the first time, I was seeing this generation that grew up without immediate fear of Saddam Hussein. They didn't have that memory in them. They were young during the sanctions, and they were the first Iraqi generation, or the first Iraqi generation, to have internet. And they demanded things that maybe the older generation would have been too afraid to demand. Whether they're learning to play that political game, that's a really tough one because part of what they're demanding is a dismantling the political system. So if you have that as your starting point, then it's really difficult, I think, to persuade a lot of them and that they should actually enter what is a loaded game, a game that they have virtually no chance of winning. And we're seeing that with the continued assassinations, with the continued militia pressure, the, the increased danger to any of these protesters that indicate they want to participate in the elections. But at the same time, it is very, very hard to make change without organization. I'm not sure that organization has to be political candidates, but it has to be 
an organized movement in the way that I think it so far has not been. And to build off what Jane said, I mean, how would you perceive how the Tishnik movement has to maneuver itself in the context of Baghdad's politics, the aggressiveness of certain state-linked militias against the movement, and also how do you reconcile calls for dismantling the system with having to potentially build change through the system? Actually, we, we try to be a realist always. This system is building by the participation parties on this militia. Every party has some kind of militia to work with and to support his opinion. So what, what we think we need to be to go to the direct politics from uh, we are a protest then go to the uh, to be a political it's uh, very difficult for us because you have political knowledge the political movement how we need to uh, to move there what we think we can do uh, to be what uh, how to be against this uh, political act from the government and the militia how to be the balance the new balance and go to this power and change what uh, what uh, thinking about how try to to make this political life. We think we need the, uh, the new era. We need to have our demands to be the political life, uh, to be uh, our Iraqi political life. What we think, we need to go to, to these parties that not killing people, that not have militia. We need to go to, to the uh, United Nations, to the Western uh, powers, and talking to them to, to how to change this political life. Tishreen now don't have a very uh, clear view of what will happen in the future. What we are to- uh, talking about, uh, the most important what for us in Tishreen, how to make electional uh, environment, a good electional environment. Now we are not talking about to radical change. We can't do that. We know to this, this is not a realist project. What we want is to make acceptable condition to be a part of this political life. Now what we are working about, we have uh, through weakness and little experience, but we are always present. What is important for us is to be present in the political life. How to do that, that will need a long time. And we have a discussions now with our uh, colleagues to find the way. But what we working about uh, in this uh, time is how to make a, a safe electional uh, environment. Thank you. That was a very interesting walking us through the thought process of the Tishin Revolution movement as it approaches what could be potential elections in Iraq. Rasha, I want to bring you into this because I do think the geopolitical element is important and the view from Washington is important. You know, when Prime Minister Kadami came into office, he was viewed as someone who understood the Iraqi system. He had been a former intelligence chief, former journalist, well-spoken, kind of knew all the different power centers, and also was respectful of the enormity of the challenge he faced. He was also perceived a bit as a caretaker, someone who would stabilize the situation and move it on to hopefully a better phase in Iraq. So I want to ask you, sitting in Washington, what is the view on Kadami? And if Kadami is unsuccessful in taking on the militias and trying to move the process of reform in Iraq forward. Does the Tishreen movement die with his efforts? 
Thank you, Nick. The view from Washington is supporting the this prime minister and still fostering and having some level of faith in the system because there is no clear alternative to that and any alternative is basically chaos and we see there is absolutely a lack of appetite in Washington for any further involvement in Iraq. There is Iraqi fatigue not only in the media but also within the White House and within Congress. We rarely heard about the protest especially compared to other regional issues and violence here and there uh, despite nearly 800 deaths in Iraq in this movement alone. Mustafa Kalami, yes, there is, I think, I believe the United States does trust him, but there's also an acknowledgement of the hardships. And due to that, I don't believe that there will be more pressure on him. He has at some point attempted to curtail some activity. Um, just today, for example, one, as we're recording, um, a militia leader two, three weeks ago almost was arrested and accused of having a role in the assassinations or incitement against activists who were assassinated, particularly um, who was uh, killed, I believe, in a little over six weeks ago, maybe two months ago, was assassinated. And he was accused, uh, he was accused of that. Just today, a militia leader who was accused of assassinations and participation in incitement was released um, on no basis of evidence. So this kind of shows us that uh, Kalvami, despite his attempts, he's still under even enormous pressure from groups affiliated with the PMF that are state sanctioned. It's a parallel state that appears to be even stronger than the central state at this point. And the United States does recognize that and it also does not want to push forward uh, towards a, a further escalation. This is something that neither the religious parties want. Marja'iya definitely would not support this. Also, it would involve perhaps more international, more of an international role for the US and for other Western allies that the international community is just not at the point, not interested in giving. The United States at this point is just observing. And I think there's also some kind of confusion as what to do next. This does not at the same time mean that uh, Mustafa Kalami, from this is my observation also sitting in Washington, I, is, is that necessarily someone who has supported or continues also to foster the Tishrei movement. I'm sensing there's actually quite a bit of anger from the October movement uh, towards Kalami. The accusations of lame duck, let's call him, that he's not doing enough, uh, not doing even the minimal, not even enough uh, to, to bring some of the assassins or the murderers to justice, which is not even a massive demand. This was initially not part of the demands for the protest, the initial ones. They ended up being a core demand because of the number, the sheer number of those killed. How Washington will look at it, it's observing for the moment, and it might, however, have to very soon decide to take action. We are seeing a bit of an uptick in the dialect and just the narrative, the rhetoric that they're using. Recently within uh, the statement from the White House was quite tough if compared to previous statements that saying the United States was outraged. I don't believe at any point that they've used this word to describe the crackdown on protesters. There was also the UN assembly in which the representative for the US named some of the victims, the assassinated journalists and activists, which is also a signaling that the United States is aware of what's going on and might be slightly starting to lose patience. Based on Rasha's observations, what is the view of the Tishreen revolution movement on 
Kadami? And is there a way forward to engage with him and his government to enact some of the demands of the movement? Actually, I am, uh, agree so much with Russia, what she said. Al-Kadhimi is uh, a comprised prime minister. He is not from Tishreen. No one in Tishreen say we want Al-Kadhimi. He was the head of the uh, intelligence before he is prime uh, minister. We don't think there's any hope of Al-Kadhimi. Because who is controlling Al-Kadhimi is uh, Fatih Sa'irun, the major parties of Shia. Muqtada Sadr and Hadi Al-Amri. So no one chose him, but there is uh, some uh, points. He, he said he will do it if he was a prime minister, uh, preparing early and fair election and to uh, reveal the killers of the demonstrators and reduce, not end, reduce the uncontrolling weapons. What happened? Kazim now, he, what he is doing, he is continuous, his compromising act with this militia, with these parties. And he is now worst for us because they say, okay, Kazmi is one of you. We say he's not from us, but they say, no, he is one of you. And he is doing this. And these, the demands of Tishrin, no, not this is the demand of Tishrin. The demands is, is the, the most important thing is to expose the killers and preparing an early and fair election and stop participation. We don't know how many of us must be killed to take an action, Al-Kazami to take an action. Now we see what happened with uh, Muslah, Muslah. We are uh, not surprised that he was released. What we think, what he, what Kazami doing is keeping everything calm and not do a big thing because he is when he comes to the prime minister chair to establish this com- compromise and keep it until the new election. And what happened? The only thing the safe uh, electional uh, environment now we are losing, so we don't trust Kazmi uh, anymore, and we protest against him. But what happened now? Kazmi keep this process and to keep everything as it's before Tishreen. So we think this reverse of Al Kazmi is very dangerous for us, and we. Uh, think Al-Kadhimi now is playing his role as a prime minister under the pressure of Muqtada Sadr and Hadi Al-Amri, Al-Fatih and Sa'irun, and they are controlling him. So what happened is very dangerous, and we think in the future Al-Kadhimi will not be less worse of uh, Maliki or Adil Abd al-Mahdi. And that's very interesting political analysis. And to the points that Russia made, you know, Kadami has taken on a sort of larger than life figure here in Washington in terms of being a, a hope for some sort of bridge to something better in Iraq. Jane, I want to bring you into this discussion because you've been covering Iraq for a long time. You've seen so many of these twists and turns in terms of the governance in Iraq and all these great hopes that Washington has placed on certain figures in Iraq to lead to reform, to lead to a better nationalistic future for Iraq. What's your take on Kadami, the maneuvers he's had to do, particularly in relation to these militia leaders such as Musla that have been arrested and then released? And you know, what are you thinking about if, if elections 
do begin to happen, what are you thinking about in terms of how the power and political dynamics could begin to shape in Iraq? So I guess I would start with Iraq has always suffered from the very low expectations of the United States and others for it. It, it seems if people aren't killing each other in the streets, if there aren't riots, if U.S. interests aren't being threatened, then well, Iraq must be fine, right? It has never been fine. It is not fine. And Hathami was chosen as a compromise candidate. I really don't think there was the belief, even when he was chosen, that he could affect real change. He's a man who does not have a power base. He doesn't have a lot of support in parliament. He has very good intentions, but I don't think even the most optimistic among us believe that those intentions are going to affect change. Qasem Maslach, who is the, the man who was accused of ordering the assassination of two protesters, two activists in Karbala, his release is a watershed, I think, because when you look at that release, it, it is such a clear sign of who's in charge in Iraq. We have militia leaders accused of crimes that Khatami came to power pledging that he would track down the killers, that he would bring to justice these people. And I think the most disturbing part of this is not only did it fall down because militias are clearly more powerful than the government, it fell down because militias are clearly more powerful than the judiciary. If you do not have a justice system which can prosecute suspects when the government has gone to such great lengths and great risks to actually arrest them, then I'm not sure what hope there is for this. And I think the conversation about the United States and Iraq is also fascinating because there still seems to be a perception that the U.S. can somehow come in and, and kind of salvage things. And I just don't see how that works. And I'm also stunned, I have to say, when protesters tell me that they want the U.N. to save them, that they want the U.S. to step in. I'm surprised and saddened and, and heartbroken, if I'm going to be honest, at that optimism that these countries, these organizations will be able to do very much because I don't see how they can. I just would like to see if you could quickly respond to what Jane said about sort of the expectations of the protest movement regarding some international organizations such as the UN in terms of their ability to affect change. How realistic is it to expect outside actors to have influence in Iraq when it seems so much of this struggle over the future of Iraq is among Iraqis? Actually, we don't think this association, like United Nations, can do something. Uh, actually, what we want them to not to take aside. Uh, I work with the United Nations when, when was Tishreen there. It's very strong and we are in the streets. What are they thinking about? Um, I'm talking now about United Nations. I'm not talking about uh, the American rule. It's maybe worse than the American rule. Uh, the United Nations rule was is how to settle down everything, to keep everything calm. I go to many times and see many people from the political office, even Plaskart, Daniel, who is uh, uh, responsible for uh, the human rights. I'm, uh, I work uh, as a human rights monitoring. When we are talking with them, all the dialogues is about how to make everything calm and everything to okay to let's make it less violence but and, but when they say it, let's uh, let's make it less violence that 
give us a, a picture that the violence is acceptable, but let's make it less. Let's make it acceptable also. No, what we want from them, what we ask them, please don't take aside. At least don't be with the government. When you're asking the, a protest who lose 800 people killed in the street and ask them, do not use violent, what violent we are, when we ask them what violence we do, uh, you are burning tires or uh, some garbage in the street. Oh, that uh, the violence you are talking about? No, we are talking about 800 people, their heads smashed in the street. So what we think, this government, and even Abdel Mahdi government, the ex-prime uh, minister, it was supported by the Western countries. They give him the arms, they give him the economic support. So we, what we ask, please don't do this more to killing us. So what we think, what happened in Iraq, this especially United Nations, playing very bad role. They take the side with the militia and the parties that make the government. That's very dangerous for us. And we uh, even in, in the protest, there is a slogan against United Nations because the United Nations do uh, take a side with the government. Russia, you wanted to follow up with a few comments on Kadami. The Iraqi system and government in general, and not just colony, and uh, I touched on this earlier, due to the lack of organization and with the Tishrei movement, it's turning into a movement now, and it will continue perhaps developing in the future. And there seems to be no real intention, despite discontent and anger towards the system and the government, but there's no intention for radical change. No one wants to overthrow anything. They see how unrealistic that ambition is now. And the goal is simply to create a better environment to participate in, in politics in Iraq without being assassinated, some kind of protection, perhaps involving more of the international community just to provide this, nothing more, not even assistance to the movement itself. It's important to highlight that. Kalami perhaps had an opportunity to build on you know, some popularity and some fan base, let's say, um, some popular base within Iraq, had he done some of these measures, brought some people to justice, but he took way more than he could chew. And that has proven, if anything, to really backlash and lost him whatever little credibility he had originally. But for the international community, and this is not a defense of the UN, uh, there's a lot to criticize on their role in Iraq and elsewhere, also US policy that has kind of supported a lackluster kind of support for Iraq just to keep this relative stability, as Jane was mentioned the low expectation stability that Iraq has out of fear that things could escalate. With the lack of organization of the Tishrei movement and with their, um, what appears up until this moment, uh, no participation from their end on the upcoming elections, there is no alternative for the international community other than to support this government. Now, the issue we have is the hybrid state of these militias where they are collecting government salaries. Officially, they're part of the, the security apparatus. Going against them in a way is, means going against the state. At the same time, when they threaten the government, they're kind of in their non-state. It's very confusing for the international community as well. This is the dilemma here. Not ex There's not any expectations for the United States to come and change things. Perhaps sometimes in moments of anger, and I read this in social media in my conversations too, they say, why can't we have another 2003 moment? We are not Ahmed al is an interesting phrase that sometimes they use, but they know that that's not realistic. 
and it's not something they want. They do not absolutely want another occupation or more U.S. intervention in that sense. That would actually make things a lot worse. International support for the government here is an interesting point. Do they want the United States and the UN to boycott the Iraqi government or the Iraqi system? Would it would that not complicate things more? This is the question I feel that U.S. policymakers and those concerned with Iraq and also the United Nations will struggle to answer. It's one thing I think, of course, if you're if they're justifying, excusing or mainstreaming, normalizing militia leaders that have blood on their hands, that's one thing. But what other options does the international community have when dealing with Iraq? I'd be interested in Jane's comment on this. I think that really goes to the heart of several things. And one of them is what future does this movement have? I mean, I do think there is a general acknowledgement that the goals of the Tashreen movement are worthy goals, that the protesters should be supported. But it falls down on the question of how do you do that? You can help organize, but then you're seen as invaders or colonizing the country, you can fund them, but then you're seen as, then the Tishreen movement will be seen as taking money from foreign powers. It's a really difficult question. Actually, this is a very huge question for us. It's directly go to what's the part of the Western countries and the United Nations, what the rules they are involved in Iraq? So we are asking them, what, uh, you know, the, the conditions that working with, uh, keep working, is it will support this regime forever? And in which sectors you will uh, support the Iraq? How can you pressure on Iraq? See, now Qadim is uh, the allies of uh, United States. And they can do nothing for not only the protesters but for all the Iraqis. So that's the question. It must go directly to the American, Britain, the Western Union, all this package and ask them, what are they think doing in Iraq? They must tell us what are what the, the imagination that they have about what will happen in Iraq in the future. What we think, this government uh, killing its people and use the violence and uh, keep corruption and keep supporting the militia. That's what happened in Iraq. So what's your rules in all this? Now, the Americans have a good condition with Iran. Uh, maybe there is a, a dialogue. Should we pay the, the price of this dialogue? Or we are the Iraqis who have to give the conditions of, of what happened in Iraq. We are not a, a part of a paper of negotiation between Iran and uh, America. We are a separate uh, file. We need to be a separate file to use this, all these uh, conditions on all what happened as Iraqis, not as a part of maybe the coming uh, negotiation between uh, America and Iran. That's very important for us. And that was very well spoken. This has been such a rich discussion. I wanted to wrap the discussion up with this question. The U.S. often talks about seeking stability in Iraq, but it seems that Americans have a different perspective on what stability means from the people, the people of Iraq who make up the Tishreen Revolution movement. So I'd like to ask you to 
to close up the discussion, if you were there in the Oval Office with President Joe Biden himself, what would you tell him stability in Iraq means to you and Iraqis like you? I will ask him uh, before I will say anything. Do you know what's Iraq? Do you know there is a country is called Iraq, not a territory, not um, a place to uh, another war uh, with another country. It's not a field for a war. I will ask him. Do you think the Iraq is very important for uh, American interest? What you are doing now is make this as a backyard for Iran. What you are doing, you are pushing us to be a part of the Iranian political interest. No, we don't want that. What we want to sit and at first make these lines between at first between America and Iraq. Uh, you come and occupy Iraq and you come and put your armies for several years and go, then you want to keep your interest. What happened? This country is collapsing, and even your interest will not be uh, ensured in this, uh, this place. So what we think, you need to uh, redefine what you think about Iraq. Iraq is an independent country. We must keep it an independent country and we know the Iraqis, the only one, you must dialogue with them. Well, thank you, and thank you to Jane and Russia for an excellent and nuanced discussion on the future of Iraq and its protest movements.